Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sam, we're in a lovely recording booth this week with our producer, Katie. Oh, hi there. That's really, you've really got that sort of natural, smooth start down. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> What have you been up to this week? I haven't seen you. Well, uh, well I've, I've been... seen you a bunch of times, but not in the last 24 hours. For the for the purposes of podcasting, we can pretend we've seen each other less frequently than we actually have. There's been a big uh, event on film Twitter. The director, Damien Chazelle, has joined Twitter. Fuck. And it's not easy to get Damien Chazelle to join Twitter. He's very busy making his epic films. But he just, he just couldn't, he couldn't not do it uh, on account of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, he's too outraged with Trump. He's not standing for it anymore, and he's joined Twitter. He tweeted something like, actually, shall I just, like, find the tweet? Damien tweeted, decided to join Twitter because I feel a responsibility to add my voice to the chorus, one out of ten. So, you know, he's written all his tweets out ahead of time. He's got them lined up, and he's going to be firing them off to destroy Trump. The second tweet, just to give you a flavor of how he continues, he says, the Trump administration is openly endorsing Nazism and white supremacy. It's that simple. I didn't think that before. But once I read the director of Whiplash uh, making that claim, I was like, you know, Whoa. that's correct. I love, I love his movies and his now, you know, now I'm convinced Trump's bad. I think I think Trump has to go. So the big question is, like, do you think the Trump administration can survive the criticism of Damien Chazelle? Uh, well, obviously, no. I don't believe He's so. the most powerful man in the world. But I thought, I mean... La La Land, all the black people are evil in that movie. I wouldn't say they're all evil. That's I would probably say going it's a, a white supremacist film. <laughs> well, it's it is about the master white, race. The white two. man saving jazz. White man saving jazz. Yeah, the black guy is trying to destroy jazz. Yeah. By turning it into something that it's not. Into bad jazz. Yeah, and the only other real sort of um, black characters are the ones that Ryan Gosling plays with on the pier when he's just feeling like a bit contemplative. A bit bored. A bit bored. He just sort of steals. There's a black woman to play with. Steals a black woman <laughs> to sort of toy around with her a little bit. It's not right, is it? <laughs> it's not on. It's just weird. Yeah, strange. I, bet, I think Damien Chazelle's only a few more tweet threads away from becoming a Trumpist, actually. Once he rewatches his own films with a sufficiently critical eye, he'll understand that he is a white supremacist and he should be in in charlottesville with the nazis um <laughs> anyway uh danny what is this podcast i'm glad you are sam i'm glad you are film chat is a podcast all about a local tv news host called sam foster that's your name who is a big believer in female-centric self-help books such as chicken soup for the soul and men are from mars and women are from venus however 
due to your show's poor ratings, you're forced to feature a section with self-styled dating guru, Danny Moran, who exposes the real unseemly truths about how men and women actually are. It's called The Ugly Truth. But when you meet the man of your dreams, a kind doctor called Colin, I suggest, I suggest that you follow my advice. You make a deal with me. If my advice manages to bag Colin, then I have to leave your show. So in the next few weeks, true to your word, you follow my top tips, such as laugh at his jokes and say that he's amazing in bed, even if he's not. Eventually, you and me just develop feelings for each other. We fuck. And at the end, you'll, I'm like, were well, you faking it? And you reply, you'll never know. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of The Ugly Truth, the classic Catherine Heigl, Jared Butler rom-com. Powerful film. Uh, brilliant film. And this is just a fact, a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a bright girl with her head in the clouds who needs a real man to tell her how things are. Sam Foster. Hey there. Uh, we got a packed episode of Film Chat coming up featuring something old, something new, something borrowed, and something Tom Cruise. That's, I'm respectively referring to their, uh, the classic French noir, Le Doulot, uh, which we will be reviewing, and, uh, and we will also be reviewing David Lowry's elegiac supernatural drama, A Ghost Story. And news of the musician St. Vincent borrowing from Oscar Wilde for her feature film debut, and the sprightly rising star Tom Cruise injuring himself after his latest stunt turned out to be a Mission Impossible. Uh, the borrowing thing is a little bit of a stretch, to be honest, but once you come up with an idea for your intro, it's very hard to shake it off, even sure. if it quite clearly does not work. I understand that. All that should leave just enough time for me to destroy President Trump myself once and for all, or rather to annihilate the remains left after Damien Chazelle has destroyed him. With my latest Twitter thread, a concise string of only 342 tweets which surgically expose all of Trump's hypocrisies and demolish the arguments of his supporters... Each tweet will be accompanied by an inspiring image of a Tom Hanks role that captures what I believe to be the true spirit of America, the opposite of everything Trump stands for, whether it's the sensitivity of Joe Fox in You've Got Mail, the courage of Captain Miller in Saving Private Ryan, or the benevolent naivety of Josh in Big, the Tom Hanks film that proves that having the mind of a child should be no obstacle to performing well in an adult's job. Take heed, Mr. Drumpf! I will be reading my tweets 24-7 on an internet live stream in a kind of Shia LaBeouf conceptual art project until trump resigns or i die of thirst and i've no doubt that i will not be dead because of of the live stream will destroy him goodbye trump whoa have you you seen big yeah it's weird how she fucks that kid (laughs) at the end he turns about a kid he's like my fucking child. She sort of looks at him in like in this kind of wistful way, like Weird. he was a he was a beautiful child all along, rather than being like, oh my god, I fucked a, like a ten year old boy. <laughs> this is the most messed up thing that could possibly have happened to me in my entire life. I want to see the sequel. Like, what did that kid do? What are like? my predilections that I was sexually attracted to a man with the, literally the mind of a ten year old boy? Like, that's fucked up. Weird film. Weird fucking film. I want to see a sequel where she's like self-medicated by only dating a 90-year-old man with the brains of 90-year-old men. Last year was The Witch, directed by Robert Eggers and starring Anna, Anya Taylor Joy, who's gone on to become the sort of 
Scream Queen du jour, uh, appearing in Splice and a bunch of uh, horror movies. And they are reteaming to do a new version of Nosferatu, which if you haven't seen, there's uh, two versions of that, and there might be more, but there's the famous 1922 F.W. Munral silent movie German Expressionism version, and then there's the 70s uh, Werner Herzog version with Klaus Kinski. And it's basically just Dracula but good. It's got a kind of interesting story where they basically made Dracula but changed all the bad things about it and didn't uh, pay any of the rights and hope they could get away with it. But right, then, okay, yeah. then they got sued by the Stoker family. Didn't get away with it. And they were like, had a court order, they had to like burn all the prints, but a few survived and it's considered a masterpiece. So wow. luckily, luckily, the Stokers didn't get their way. Or maybe they did, but everyone just ignored them. And uh, yeah, it's a really good because I had to study Dracula at school. I remember, and it's, I remember you complaining about it. And it's the it. worst fucking book I've ever read in my life. It's yeah. terrible. Well, do you uh, think the time might have changed? You know, you go back to it a little bit old, a little bit wiser, or do you nah. think it's still turd? No, nah. well, like, nah, nah, mate, nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about it is, like, the beginning is very good. The first three chapters, which is the sort of stuff which is always adapted, where John Harker goes to the big crumbly castle, and there's a weird-looking count there. Mm-hmm. That's all the stuff people remember, because that's the only good bit of the book. And after that... It just really goes downhill. Um, but I feel like Robert Eggers would be a great fit for that because the witch really brilliantly created all this sort of tense paranoia and that's kind of what Dracula's about for the opening stretch, the good stretch, and what Nosferatu kind of minds. Um, so yeah, I think it'd be great. I mainly associate Nosferatu with a kind of different version of a vampire where rather than being a kind of... Uh, sexy suave older man it's a monstrous bold yeah, uh, yeah. ghoul creature well, he's count orlack or something he's for, you know they, totally different guy different guy he's not even called dracula what are you talking about <laughs> really different um yeah the guy i guess the one challenge is that how do you make that not a joke because i feel that that design character design and just the whole like going to the castle which is obviously run by a monster yeah uh, well after, after the simpsons have done it how do you? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I, maybe it's sort of embedded itself as much in the c- cultural memory as um, a kind of medieval. There's a witch in the woods type story. Yeah, you know, you just have to evoke a few things and people are spooked out. I mean, you know, people are still scared by things like Salem's Lot, right? And maybe the vampire lore is one of those things which can be simultaneously a bit of a silly cliche, but also spooky and creepy well i think that's the thing why dracula sort of endures is just like the lore is good the sort of setting up how vampires work how many rules do you them. think he's going to go for there's same there's probably more rules associated with vampires than with any other sort of monster uh in nosferatu sunlight kills him if memory serves um that's a big weakness let's be honest big big weakness he dies at the end because he just forgets that the sun comes up because he's too busy feasting on this woman's uh, blood you think you would like the one thing you'd For remember. 600 years of life, you think you'd be uh, on top of that one? I got time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all been there. I've got a lot of time. That's like uh, me every morning. You know, I like I got time. It's like I can have breakfast. We're going to work. Oh no, I'm late. It's like that <laughs> every morning. Speaking of uh, an, an immortal uh, creature, which <laughs> <laughs> um, charms its victims, Tom Cruise has been shooting Mission Impossible Six. Um, I really thought you were going to segue to Dorian Gray there. Oh, shit. We got he's a an immortal. He's an also <laughs> immortal being. Yeah. Um, Tom Cruise, eternally youthful, 
as far as he believes yeah. <laughs> in his own mind. Uh, he's been filming Mission Impossible 6 in London this summer. He's making the follow-up to the quite well-received Mission Impossible 5. He's reteamed with the director, Christopher McQuarrie. Unfortunately, Tom, he's getting increasingly ambitious even as his failing body is like unable to keep up with uh, his sort of dreams, his stunts dreams. Um, so in each Mission Impossible film, he's got to run faster, cling to things that are traveling at higher speeds. Um, and he has gone too far this time. He's attempted something impossible and injured himself. Uh, Empire spoke to Christopher Macquarie to ask about it. Macquarie was pretty optimistic. He was like, it's no, it's no biggie. No biggie. He's, bro- he's broken his ankle. There's a video of, I believe, I haven't seen it myself. Oh, yeah, I, it's quite brutal. Oh, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't watch that sort of thing. I think it's immoral. He jumps from one building to another, but he just kind of like, he doesn't quite judge it. So like he, his legs slam into the wall. Does it look like, are you watching it like this is just a horrendous injury? Are you watching it like this is great movie footage? Well, he still like gets up. He still like gets on top of the roof. And then after he's like, oh, you know, you can see that he just can't put any weight oh, on so his So he leg. makes it up onto the roof. Of course he does. Okay, of course. There's no <laughs> of course stopping he does. it. No stopping it. No stopping you can't it stop all. me, age. You can't stop me. Um, my sexuality. Macquarie said, Tom is great. He's in very good spirits. Um, he insists that the film is still going to make its initial release date and he says I now have to move heaven and earth to make sure the shot is in the movie we went to all that effort to get it it's a pretty fantastic shot so I mean you probably if your star becomes horrendously injured while you're shooting uh, the movie you definitely that's the money shot yeah you can never do that on purpose you cannot deliberately say break your ankle doing this people will definitely go to see that People want to see Tom's ankle get fucked up for real on the big screen in IMAX. Um, so, and I remember watching, you know, in Collateral, there's a bit. I, there's a bit in that which I'm pretty sure is like a stunt gone slightly wrong that they kept in the movie, where Tom Hanks's hitman character picks up a chair and Tom Hanks. Fli- <laughs> yes, Tom Hanks as a hitman. If you wrote a- Road to Perdition. Uh, no, I meant Tom Cruise in Collateral. He uh, picks up a chair and flings it through a glass office door, breaking it before running through the door. But, like, the chair kind of gets caught in the door a little bit, so he kind of is just jumping through a door. He stumbles over this chair, kind of just about keeps his feet, you know. So it's, like, a bit messy, but it just gives a bit of uh, authenticity yeah. to the, the sort of messy chase sequence. Do you think that, you know how David Bowie, like, his last album was, like, a sort of his own epitaph? Like, if... Tom Cruise was terminally ill. He would just do like the most insane. He would literally die on camera. Oh shit! But like the most like insane stunt anyone has ever done. And he's like, "That's it." And they're like, "He died doing what he loved, jumping and running." He's just and gonna, Mission Impossible yeah. Twelve would be like, he jumps out of fuck into space, and, like dives into the White House, kills somebody. I don't know. Well, he gets fired out of a cannon. Fired out of like, cannon, um, like you know, and like takes down the bad guy from like uh, several miles away. But 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 while well, his burning corpse just uh, explodes. Yeah. We've got one take, people. <laughs> That's real acid, everybody. So goggles. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm sure. Well, they probably just remake the mummy. Um, but he just actually dies in that plane crash. <laughs> they just crash a plane with Tom Cruise inside, and then it cuts to like you know him in the body bag, and he doesn't wake up. He's just dead, and then the film goes in a different direction. Brilliant. Brilliant. Another uh, amusing fact I heard about this story is that because uh, Tom Cruise can't film, it actually puts like the whole production into jeopardy, and the other actors can't be released from their contracts. So like the idea that Henry Cavill just has to keep his tash for like even longer, and like potentially, I hope he had like another film booked to like CGI's tash like even more. Oh and he's like, oh god, why did I grow this moustache? It seemed like such a good character idea, but now I've had to keep it for like eighteen months. Yeah, and he's probably only got about like two scenes. 
My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. From one immortal to another. From a second immortal to a third. <laughs> Um, St. Vincent, the sort of amazing polymath musician, turn artist, writer, director, just ethereal being. Sends great emails as well if you signed up to a, a mailing list. Sends great emails. Um, she made her debut last year in the horror anthology XX, did like a short horror film. I haven't seen, but I assume it's genius. Probably Everything great. she touches turns to gold. And she is not resting on her laurels in terms of filmmaking because she has signed up to adapt Oscar Wilde's 1890 novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray. And it's going to be written by David Burke, who did the script for Elle, which was awesome. And uh, if you don't know the story, Dorian Gray is this sort of loose hedonist and he makes a pact with the devil and uh, his painting ages in his attic while he remains the same. And like, But if he looks upon his painting, he dies. Is that the sort of general... I haven't... I've only get this from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. I don't really know how Dorian Gray works. Uh, all I remember is that he's an immortal, not a gazelle. Yeah, that classic line. Classic line. I'm an immortal, sir, not a gazelle. How can we outrun this? The thing that I'm really looking forward to this is the uh, predictable outrage from certain prehistoric corners, corners of the internet over gender swapping the uh, lead to a woman, which I believe is Annie Clark's plans. Um, from people who have clearly not read the book or give it a, any sh- shit at all about the <laughs> cultural impact of Dorian Gray until this has happened. You can't change genders. It just makes them so mad. It's Dorian Gray, not Dory... Dory Gray? Finding Dory <laughs> Gray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, it's gonna be, There's going to be a lot of people who barely have recovered from the aneurysms they had after the new Doctor Who was announced. You were like my other, the other icon of mine, Dorian Gray, <laughs> has been ruined. I hope she does the music. Do you hope it's like uh, just like a tie-in promotional single, like in the nineties? Yeah. Uh, oh god, sorry, my wearing brain is trying to remember <laughs> any of the words associated with the thing I'm trying to talk about. <laughs> What's the uh, Sofia Coppola uh, movie about the <laughs> Marie Antoinette? Is it going to be like? <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, you need a younger, more sprightly brain to do this. If we had a live radio show, it'd just be absolutely hopeless. Do you think it's going to be like Marie Antoinette where it's like a period setting, but no, like... We can't, we can't cut it. No, it's fine. I just put in some like whirring mechanical noises <laughs> and a car crash. Just some Looney Tunes sound effects for my brain trying to do stuff. Um... Do you think it's going to be like Marie Antoinette with a uh, modern soundtrack and a you know cool rock soundtrack? I hope so, because that was the best thing about Marie Antoinette, in my opinion. The opening of Marie Antoinette is awesome because it's got Gang of Four. Natural's not in it, right? And that's a great song. Great and then song. it's quite a tedious movie, occasionally livened up by some sort of post-punk. Yeah. And this one's just going to be like Digital Witness playing as she goes and gets you know, Satan paints a lovely picture of her or something. 
you okay? Katie was just giving us a little bit, but it sounded like fart noises. <laughs> the start of the song does sound like fart noises. You know, I, you remember Digital Wizard? I love that song. <laughs> I don't think it does. It's a classic. I would play it later. With these new pop shields, it gives me a renewed freedom to fart, make fart sounds without worrying that it's going to pop. It's been holding me back. It's been really I'm, holding me back. But I feel it's, stifled. Let's take this podcast to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. It's a classic. Me and Sam, being the cultured young chaps about town we are, went to the BFI, Jean-Pierre Melvoux season. Unresistible. Kind of got to see some Melville. Never seen any Melville before. Much to my shame. Uh, Le Dulo is uh, written directed by Jean-Pierre Melville and adapted from the book of the same name by Pierre V. Lusseau. And it's about a burglar called Maurice Fulgel, played by Serge Reggiani. And he's just, at the beginning of the movie, he's just finished a prison sentence. He kills a guy. I'm gonna he say, kills a guy. He kills a guy. He's just out of prison uh, and he kills a guy. Steals some stuff from a robbery. And uh, as Morris is preparing for another burglary, his friend Cillian, played by Jean-Paul uh, Belmondo, brings him all the necessary equipment. But Morris doesn't know that Cillian is a police informant. Dun, dun, dun. And here is a clip. Uh, bonjour, Maurice. Uh, uh, merci pour la douleur. Oh, is that yours? Oh, it looks so good. Uh, très bien. Can I borrow it for the crime tonight? Uh, merci beaucoup. Uh, bonne nuit. The dialogue is incredible. Incredible. Strong. Strong. So, I quite enjoyed this movie. It's, I mean, it's quite slight, and I don't know where it ranks in the Jean-Pierre Melville canon of his, you know, great it's films. It's the best film by him that I've seen. <laughs> it's definitely, in terms of the films I've seen by certainly him. certainly in the top ten of the one films by him that I've seen. So Jean-Pierre Melville is part of the French New Wave movement and to briefly surmise what the whole thing was, there were a bunch of cool Parisian film critics for the most part who had grown up uh, on American genre films and kind of, well not really the first, but sort of part of the movement that took that kind of genre cinema very seriously and like appreciated it as much as quote-unquote more prestigious film. And uh, Le Dulo is kind of part of a series of films made by people like Godard and Truffaut which is like their version of an American gangster film and I think there's just something quite pleasing about it's obviously some guy who loves film noirs and is doing his own super French stylized version and it's definitely a movie which I think like the style carries you through and the story itself is quite slight and it feels a bit like a sort of a popcorn movie from the 60s yeah um yeah, I I think I probably don't have sufficient sort of cultural or cinematic knowledge to fully like delve into the merits or otherwise <laughs> of this movie, um, but I feel kind of similarly about it. Like I quite enjoyed it. Um, I am definitely a sucker for uh, noir stuff. You know, like I like that whole thing. Guys in raincoats and hats, you know, pointing pistols at each other and betraying each other and all that kind of thing. Um, and I kind of enjoyed it. It's very stylish. I think I liked it the best in the opening sequence um, before it gets a bit entangled in the plot, which is quite difficult to follow. There's like a lot of different French gangster characters. A lot of There's a lot of important information imparted about them and you have to be able to match names to faces in a way that I think is quite hard to do. Um, and the plotting is 
as, as is often the case in noir, the being able to follow the sort of labyrinth-like plot is not actually that important. It's, an, it's about atmosphere and mood. And I felt like this movie had a little bit too much plot and concentrated on it too much. It distracts you from like just enjoying the mood of the film because instead you're sitting there like, so who's the guy? So there's that guy over there, like, and they're referring to him. Is that the guy from before? And like, did he go? <laughs> you know, at least that's. I mean, admittedly, I was slightly sleepy in the cinema watching this movie. But that's kind of how I felt. <laughs> there's a kind of lack of moral judgment from the perspective of the film, which is often the case for gangster movies, and it was one of the things that was controversial by gangster movies when they started becoming really, really popular. Um, and. Uh, but there are like certain aspects of it where I felt like the passage of time makes some things more objectionable to a model and other things, by which I basically mean that I feel like watching it now, it doesn't really matter if the movie doesn't punish things like murder and, uh, you know, betrayal and theft, but that like brutal beatings of defenseless women are like harder to take. You know, there's like a couple of scenes yeah, yeah, where yeah. it's a bit like, um, and in general, the treatment of women in the film is probably, you know, worse than you might necessarily expect, even given the period and subject matter. And also the, so Jean-Paul Belmondo is in it. He's the sort of um, icon of French coolness, sort of yeah, thing, right? The cool, guy, isn't he? He's the guy from Breathless. and just being very cool. Yeah, but I found his, I just found him extremely pleased with himself. I feel like a string of uh, beautiful women and hangers-on had told him how cool he was prior to every shot. Um, and I was kind of waiting for the movie to wipe the smirk off his face and was not satisfied on that part <laughs> sufficiently. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's like really saying that much. It's just like an exercise in style. There was like something I liked about it, which is both, well, I liked and disliked about it, is that it's a movie which is a lot of... Um, process in it they're always discussing the job at, at length and then they have to do all the scenes to like get all the stuff they need to do for the job and then the job happens or doesn't happen you know it's been like a sort of heist movie structure in that respect and there's definitely bits when the movie drags but it does lead to these kind of like slow crescendos of like finally like all the pieces are coming together and those scenes were really satisfying yeah i definitely i prefer scenes of people meticulously doing things than people like meticulously discussing things there's like a scene like with people talk, chatting at a police station that I felt really dragged. But I would much, much rather watch somebody just like slowly constructing all of his safe, uh, like busting equipment or like just, uh, you know, gently applying a bandage to somebody for like five minutes. You know what I mean? There's a lot of that like close ups of people doing stuff, which oh. I just generally prefer. Well, OK. <laughs> that's a, that, and that's a sound preference. <laughs> if, you're if you're making a movie for me, I just want you to know. Yeah, just. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, it struck me as like very sort of uh, Tarantino esque, or Tarantino is Melville esque, in that sort of long dialogue scenes of them discussing a plan. And visually, there's a lot of things I think he's taken from it. Yeah, And it's kind of cool to watch it just in the pantheon of crime movies. It I think obviously. Tarantino cited it as an influence on Reservoir Dogs. Well, you, you can, can see why. You can tell. Yeah. You hate Reservoir Dogs. You wish they were just building a tiny little <laughs> Lego set. <the> whole time. <laughs> yeah, but like Tarant, it's the there's a lot of very functional. Like the dialogue is quite functional. You know, it's not it's not just that kind of like Tarantino cool guys shooting the shit sort of dialogue. Yeah. It's like you know a lot of discussions of who did what. So you said you were here, but I believe just you were there. Were you not there? Like I won't tell you anything. You know, but like that conversation goes on for like ten minutes. That's that's just yeah know, yeah fair enough just yeah. found it a little boring, but definitely worth certainly worth seeking out. 
Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Danny and I had two film dates this week the second of which we will discuss now we went to see a ghost story this is written and directed by david lowry who is uh d- directed the disney movie pete's dragon and has reunited with the stars of his directorial debut ain't anybody saints casey affleck and rooney mara for this one so it's a little independent oddity film it's obviously a very personal project um and uh yeah, it's had us quite a good reception, right? Although you were saying in your reviews of the reviews that uh, <laughs> it's sort of been rather mixed. Like, yeah, well, it seems cynical. people either like have really embraced it or have been left a bit, bit, pol- bit by polarizing. Um, yeah, so it's got a bit of an elegiacal Malick-esque tone. It begins in uh, the home of Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. They're kind of hanging out, mumbling to each other. He tragically dies and returns to existence um, as a ghost under a a big sort of sheet with two eye holes, very sort of... Scooby-Doo ghost. Scooby-Doo-esque ghost, um, or sort of a bit like like the Lego ghost. Yeah. You know, you can put the ghost thing on the Lego man. It looks a bit like that. Um, And he kind of silently observes Rooney Mara um, dealing with the fallout of his death and then a bunch more uh, strange, spooky things go on. Um, here is a clip of Casey and Rooney doing a little bit of mumbling to each other while alive. This is not how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to make decisions together. Can't you understand them? Yes. So why am I the only one making them? Because I don't want what you want. Because you want to stay here? Mm-hmm. Hey, I Why? love garden play. I love being in this house. I don't well, I would rather leave her. Listen, really, this house is a great part of me. I told him I, oh, I don't like it. I want to leave. I just, uh, yeah. So. That's a pretty interesting <laughs> what about my Rooney? It was perfect. It's bang on. It's a posh British Rooney. <laughs> I don't want to live. Um, it's an it's an interesting movie. It's kind of a film that um, I, I guess examines the nature of ghosts or the like ideas of uh, things being left behind, ideas of like lingering and memory and like what it means to leave an impact on life after you die. Um, that kind of thing which is all themes that are tied up in uh, traditional types of ghost stories uh, but this one takes a kind of fresh perspective on it by being largely seen through the eyes of the ghost a story about a ghost yeah hmm they should call it that a bit like Casper uh, which is also a ghost focused story uh, but with a rather different atmosphere and not as good and not nearly as good um um, yeah so it's got a very singular um uh, sensibility to it and it's quite it feels like he knew exactly what he wanted out of the film and something that we both felt I think as we were discussing afterwards is that it feels a bit like a Terrence Malick movie with a bit more focus kind of a shot by shot focus yeah there's like a kind of bit more narrative drive and a sense of purpose uh uniting it rather than like 
you know i just spaced out and shot seven hours of film and then like tried to piece something together it's like you know this little tight thing it's only 90 minutes long yeah i mean and that's it, not much of a editing ratio seven hours to 90 minutes yeah <laughs> but yeah um, yeah but he um uh is constantly introducing new ideas and it's kind of piles up on itself in a way that makes the film increasingly like expanding in scope and uh it feels like the first part of the film is the sort of slowest and it's like if you can get past that then uh you know the yeah film sort of rewards it, it makes no concessions to the audience really and that's kind of what's pleasing about the movie is that it is very slow and when we saw it a couple people walked out yeah and it's a bit like if you can get through the beginning uh, it just keeps on sort of changing your perspective on the film and just when you've got your head around what the kind of like internal logic is some of it kind of expands a bit and those are the bits where i felt the movie was really working because i was like ah this guy's got a plan i'm with you lowry yeah um it is like i wasn't particularly emotionally invested in the film and i feel part of that is to do with the fact that it's quite sketchily drawn the characters i mean they're not even named i think in the credits they're called c and m they might just be man and woman yeah and there's so little time before his death they don't really get much of their relationship there's a few flashbacks but it is a very much like them sort of wandering about mumbling at each other and their their relationship is conducted as if it, you know they know what the context of the film is you know what i mean like they're not just like sort of chatting or like making lunch or whatever they're just whispering and quite like despondent tones to each other or having like very quiet intimate moments well this might be quite a cruel snarky critic-y thing to say but there's not much difference between casey affleck with the sheet on and the sheet off like (laughs) in ghost form he's like as sort of like you know uh i don't know lacking in presence i think i think he's He's got more presence when he's a ghost i like casey affleck in his you know in some of his roles not I so know, much as not, not personal personal well yeah i know that he's like a sexual harasser and stuff like that i mean we talked about this a bit in our manchester by the sea review um but uh i think rooney mara does a much better job of um conveying a sort of sense of mystery and interest and rich inner life from quite small materials rather than him especially because he comes into it in the uh look he's been sporting on the red carpet lately sort of shaggy like you know unkempt just looks like a bit of a douchebag and he's also established as like a singer songwriter guy and you immediately get the sense like this guy's just a prick you know he doesn't talk to him very much he just lounges about working on his songs it's like fuck off i mean i didn't much like him so uh yeah i know it's because you sort of clap when he died just like whooping i did kind of yes, embarrassing. as soon as there was a shot of him like his corpse i was laughing i was laughing my head off um yeah, I'm, like, really torn about, like, is the movie, like, profound and saying something? Or is it just, like, kind of bold and clever in its construction? And I don't really know. It sort of felt more like, I mean, I, I came away from it feeling like it laid out a bunch of different ideas. I mean, it's like what you were saying about um, how it keeps introducing new things that make you see the entire film in a different way. And you're like, oh, the, the project of the film is this, yeah. you know, and that kind of keeps you interested but by the end, I really wasn't sure if there, the movie had a message or had there was like something that it was telling you about death or grief or memory or it like they're all kind of big words that are also quite vague. Yeah, the movie is kind of like fuzzy. It's more that there's just a bunch of different things in the film, and you can uh, kind of read into it how you will, or you can you know it's just stuff for you to think about rather than you know an argument and. 
I guess that's satisfying in its own way, but it's also a bit like, you know, unsatisfying in that you don't know if the filmmaker has a view on any of this or if he just had a, a bunch of clever ideas about what to do with Ghost. Yeah, that's true. I would say that I did like the look of the film and I think it, I would say, it, that's not really like a riposte or I would say <laughs> I like the pictures um, because obviously you can sort of tell these watch a lot of Terrence Malick movies. I say a lot, just watch the Terrence, there's not that many to watch. Yeah. Rewatched a few. There's quite a few of them. And uh, I feel like it's, it's very hard. His like visual thing of like sunlight and slightly oh, music has become such a cliche that it's impressive when a film manages to sort of utilize it but not fall into it. Yeah. And it kind of like just about gets away with it and it's got enough of its own kind of stuff. Even the sort of, I quite like the the ghost story, the ghost aesthetic. They are just using like people in sheets was quite a, sounds quite gimmicky. It was but cool, kinda like, actually. It, yeah, it really kinda, works. The ghost really thing really works, like with no special effects, like it is just a guy under a sheet. I thought it was quite a clever idea. Yeah. Um, and there's a few like lots of neat little visual bits in it yeah absolutely keep yeah. you sprinkled out and i quite like the the sort of square frame it looks like a slideshow i think deliberately right it's got like a square frame with slightly rounded corners so it looks like someone putting on you know you, the film is supposed to be put into an ohp and watched one slide at a time yeah um and uh i think that that makes it get, runs the risk of looking like some sort of artisan hipster instagram film um but i you know i think it just about worked yeah <laughs> I had it enough, worked. like, Malik The visual was... choices worked. Yeah, the visual choices worked. Um, and so, I mean, I would sort of recommend the movie, I think. Like, I don't think every single element of it works, necessarily. And I don't... I agree that it's probably not a profound film about death. Uh, but I, I don't know. I sort of, like... It's it's got a it's got a sort of quiet melancholic quality that stayed with me, definitely. Yeah, very... I definitely felt, like... It definitely did affect me, but... Yeah, it's very different, you know, and how yeah. often can you say that? I don't know if I just brought my own feelings into the film and that's why I was moved by it. It just leaves you enough room for you to be like, yeah, you know, you're affected by it because nothing's happening on screen. You just start thinking about the themes of the film and that's enough. <laughs> um, well, maybe, that's, maybe that was part of his genius master plan. Part of it, we'll just have Rooney sit here eating this pie for 10 minutes while the audience cries over <laughs> thoughts of their own uh, dying loved ones or something. <laughs> Think about someone you know has died. <laughs> yeah. And to conclude, the Casey Affleck song from the movie. Oh god, that song! I think it was bad. A little break now in the show, cause Danny has to blow his nose, and Sam is trying on different clothes, and Katie's cooking sausage rolls. I think they're almost done. And finally, Trailer Watch. Great trailers this week. I'm switching into a new radio DJ mode. Great Trailer Watch this week. Trailer Watch. There's been some great trailers released. My favourite of the new trailers is the trailer for the film directed by Aaron Sorkin. It's his directorial debut. Him and St. Vincent are both getting into the uh, directing gig. Uh, But which will direct better? That's the big question everyone's talking about. Um, Danny, you pointed me towards this trailer. Molly's Game, yes. It's Aaron Sorkin. He's obviously written it, obviously. Obviously. And it's all about Jessica... He Jessica- works with the best himself. <laughs> he works with the best himself. And Jessica Chastain plays um, some just cool 
whip smart lady who somehow gets into the business of illegal gambling dens. Well, she's like a, she's something like a professional Olympic skier or some. I don't know if that was that. That was it. I don't know. From from the trailer, it's a bit like she's, she's a sports, just like she's a waitress a who's just super smart. Well, I yeah. believe it's it's based on a true story, and she was like a like a athlete or something. And okay. then like you've obviously done some research here. I'm just uh, going. <laughs> <laughs> and then she like got into the game of uh, high stakes poker. High stakes. That's and the movie's just sorry. And the trailer is a succession of men either in awe or arguing with her about how smart she is and how she could manage to run this crazy poker den where all the a listers were attending and she gets into the russian mob but she's just so sexy and smart that people she are just blown out. away by her and it's very very sorkin do you hear a little bit of it absolutely we spent eight years in hollywood and two years in new york running the world's most exclusive and decadent man cave have you seen the other names in your indictment come on Marty, just how deep into the russian mob were you your exposure is crazy you got 2.8 million on the street right now you're gonna get blown up you managed to build a multi-million dollar business using not much more than your wits i'm about to be charged in federal court well nobody's perfect do you think it needs more dialogue in the trailer it needs to be chattier chattier not enough lines at the end yeah, yeah. The is to like a string of unconnected and relatively flat-sounding lines of just people yapping at each other. My favorite other. thing is uh, Kevin Costner's like, "Well, nobody's perfect." <laughs> yeah, the "some like it hot" uh, line. Well, he's a plagiarist, isn't now, he? No badass. Um, Sorkin. He's been ripping off the beginning, the speech from Network for his different TV shows, and himself, of course. And himself, he's constantly yeah. ripping off himself. There's a, I mean, we, I'm sure we talked about this before, but there's a really good Sorkinisms, actually two Sorkinisms videos by someone who loves him enough to have watched every single thing he's ever put out but also you know must have noticed that he's constantly reusing his own shit and so put together these montage videos of him uh his own lines being used over and over and over again the thing that's so great about them is that you really get a sense of like not only that he uses the same material but that all his characters kind of sound the same and that he's you you i feel you end up feeling bad for the actors because like they're there are no actors it's just they're just mouthpieces for Aaron Sorkin, you know? Well, he's Aaron There's only Sorkin. one way to deliver his lines, and they all have to he do it. He could buy way. all the actors in the world and turn them into his own ping-pong room. His fucking ping-pong room. <laughs> he says it all the time. Katie loves the West Wing. Don't you, Katie? In the corner. Casey's, Quiet, Katie! Katie's smiling and nodding with approval of everything we're saying. What's that? You hate the West Wing. Okay, good to know. You can't hear Katie because she doesn't have a microphone, but she's just saying great points. Love you guys. You're nailing it. Um, so I had a. I was thinking about Aaron, Aaron Sorkin and how to construct Sorkin-like put-downs and lines and sort of great Sorkin banter. Yeah. And the two things that characterize a good line of Aaron Sorkin dialogue for me are sort of assertiveness, a kind of like bolshy, sort of spunky character. Like, yeah. you've got attitude, you know, like, hey, man, I'm just a dude. Like, you know, what? what's up? Yeah. Like, you, well, you, you know, sh- shut your ass down. I'm, I'm the man. I'm the man in the situation. That kind of great line. So okay. you've got to have that kind of attitude. Sure. You've also got to have a lot of facts at your disposal. Yeah, it's got absolutely. to be. It's got to be a well-informed. You got to. You got to have like a lot of like meaty facts. Absolutely. Uh, in your in your lines of dialogue. That's so, how you win arguments just by showing a lot of facts. You just got to have. You just got to bring the facts. Nothing going to take down Trump, isn't it? It doesn't matter whether they're relevant or not. But I find that if, when I'm arguing with somebody, if they mention like 25 different facts, I'm just like, wow, that guy knows his shit, even if they're not relevant to the topic at hand. So, um, I've no, constructed... Brazilian nuts are actually seeds. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guy, that kind of stuff. Guy shut me down. A banana is a nut, but a Brazil nut is a seed. This guy's a genius. I don't know if a banana yeah, really is. Brazil nut is a seed. I don't know if a banana actually is a nut. I don't know. I don't know. That's, That's one like of those... I don't know. That, I fake mean, news. 
this could be fake news. So anyway, so I've constructed a bunch of Sorkin lines from what I did is just like take New York Times headlines and just Sorkinize them. Nice. So it's just like if someone's reading the news, because I think that's how he writes his scripts. He's got, you know, Molly's book to his like uh, on his left. And then on his right, he's got the latest edition of the New York Times. He just flips through it to put the facts in. You know, there's that bit in uh, Steve Jobs where he's like, the most efficient animal is the condor. The least efficient animal is a human. That if you uh, make them fuck. A human with a bicycle a... is the mo- is even more efficient than the condor. And uh, uh, Mac is a computer of the mind. Um, that's the argument he makes to get a new CEO for his company, which is, you know, because he's so clever. But he never would have made Max if he didn't know about that condor. So, um, so anyway, so here we go. I'm thinking I'll just I'll, read these. You read them out. I'll edit it. And you, you edit them into trailer form. And I'll put some sick music. Yeah, can I, make, can I make a request about how this should be edited? Absolutely. I want, like, the last, like, syllable to cross over with the first syllable of the next one, you know? Yeah. So it's just like, bam, bam, bam. Like. Consider it done. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> I get it that you don't think much of me, but the Russia West balancing act is growing ever more wobbly in Belarus. The sperm count in Western men has dropped over 50% since 1973, and I hold you personally responsible. I got federal indictments, I got court orders, I got a malware expert in Ukraine ready to blow the whistle on Russian hacking. They just recovered a 106-year-old fruitcake from a Robert Scott expedition, and you know how edible it is? Almost. Protesters have torn down a confederate statue in Durham and turned it into their personal ping-pong room. While you've been sitting on your ass, Turkmenistan has been tightening the rules on its sports event. There's a new offer on the table. 95-room adults-only resort on the island of Rhodes. Opened a year ago as the first Greek hotel by the tour operator Thomas Cook. That's all you got to say? For Christ's sake, Lebanon just repealed its marry your rapist law. I had two different Harvard statisticians trying to reverse engineer the Galician tradition of rounding up wild horses. Ever heard of the neuroscientist Marion C. Diamond? She challenged the long-held assumption that the brain is a static and unchangeable entity and turned it into a personal ping-pong room. <laughs> what do you think? I think it's brilliant. Would you uh, watch that movie? I'd definitely watch that movie. I like how so many things were turned into ping-pong rooms. <laughs> Also, like, is ping pong room like a thing? So, ta- sort of thing, is it? <laughs> a ping pong room. I guess like, that's a, a just like an example room. of a extravagant purchase for Aaron Sorkin. An entire room dedicated to ping pong. It is a silly word, so it sounds extravagant and superfluous. Do you think it'd be better if it was your personal pong room to play the first ever computer game, Pong? Yeah, it's my pong room. Turn that into his pong room. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a room he just, like, smells bad in. <laughs> this is my pong room. <laughs> Sorry about the pong. <laughs> Don't go there. That's the pong room. Uh, you want to spend most of the party in my fragrance room. <laughs> That's the pong room. I'd stay out of that. Good old Sorkin. Right. I think I'm pretty sure we've done Sorkin parody on Film Chat before, but you know, 130 episodes in, you can repeat yourself. You have that luxury. People yeah. remember that. I can't think of newer. We're like Sorkin himself. You know, <laughs> we just go after a oh, while. Shit, I, really, I can't wait for the YouTube takedown of our constantly repeated turns of phrase and all that shit. I say like a lot. Yeah, he, his characters say you think a lot. But not as you much think? as we say, like. Like. Hello don't to don't yeah. make that supercut. Don't do it, internet. Don't do it, please. I'm begging you. Don't give us the uh, stage and... Uh, uh, God, I can't think of my words. Validation. Validation. Marie Antoinette. The fame associated with the great YouTube takedown. Marie Antoinette. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for listening. Join us next week. We'll be reviewing, I don't know what's out, some films. Let's review some films. Um, I want to review The Dark Tower. Apparently it's awful. (laughs) (laughs) 
um because of luther's in it luther luther maybe he's written a song luther um maybe he has <laughs> who knows he hasn't written any songs in a while so we'll see see if he's feeling uh, inspired um and yeah i don't know maybe someone else who knows maybe something else there's gotta be some more films out there probably some more films probably some more melville uh part two of the bfi season has begun all right enjoy your week everyone stay uh stay lovely (laughs) bye goodbye let's do it but the only thing you have to do to make me and your mom happy is come home at the end of the day the only thing you ever had to do to make me happy was come home at the end of the day I'm not going to like you, am I? Don't be ridiculous. Everybody likes me. I'm not going to like you very much, am I? Oh, don't be ridiculous, Dana. Everybody likes me. But at the moment, I could buy Mount Auburn Street, take the Phoenix Club, and turn it into my ping pong. I could buy his house four times and turn it into my ping pong. And turn it into my ping pong. Turn it into my ping pong. Ping pong. Ping pong. Ping pong. Ping pong. Ping pong. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.